Good evening, church. Good evening. It's good to see you here this evening. If you are outside and are intending to make your way in, please feel free to make your way in. It's good to be here with you tonight to worship our God, to give Him praise. And whatever situations that you're in, whatever circumstances you find yourselves in this week, this past month, this year, uh, it's crazy to think we're already halfway through the year. Um, and I confess, tonight I'm a little bit low on energy myself. Um, and yet God remains glorious. God remains exalted. God remains worthy of our praise, of our worship, of our adoration, of our honour. So we're going to do that tonight. Let me pray for us and we're going to worship our God in song. Thank you, Lord, that we can be here this evening gathered as your people called by your name. And I pray that as we worship you, that you will be pleased with our worship. Give us the strength to give you praise and glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you stand? We're going to sing and worship our God together. Hallelujah, 
Hallelujah! How awesome is the Lord Most High! Raise your hands, all you nations, shout to God of creation. How awesome is the Lord Most High! We will praise you together for now and forever. How awesome is the Lord Most High! Lord Most High! Psalm 51, verses 10 to 12 says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Let's continue to worship, sing when the music fades. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm 
I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it when it's all about you. It's all about you. I'm coming back. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. And it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. There is none like you. No one else can touch my heart like you do. Search for all eternity long and find there is none like you. Sing it again, there is none. There is none like you. No one else can touch my heart like you do. I could search for all eternity long and find there is none like you. Your mercy flows like a river wide. Healing comes from your hands. Suffering children are safe in your arms. There is none like you. There is none like you. No one else can touch my heart like you do. I can search for all eternity long and find there is none like you. Your mercy flows. Your mercy flows like a river wide and healing comes from your hands. Suffering children are safe in your arms. There is none like you. See, there is none. There is none like you. No one else can touch my heart like you do. I can search for all eternity long and find there is none like you. Sing, I can search. And I can search for all eternity long and find there is none like you. 
we come to you, we seek you. We seek you with all of our hearts, knowing that you are there to be found. And I pray, O oh Lord, that you will reveal yourself to us. Reveal your love, you reveal your grace to us that we might have strength to live. We might hope to live every day living for your glory and for your praise. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Before I take a seat, turn to someone around you, give them a smile, give them a wave, say hello. Good evening. Welcome, everyone. Well, we're doing scripture at Suvi tonight. Awesome. So as part of, um, in, in Suvi Church, we memorize Bible verses together each month as a church family. This year, we're focusing on the attributes of God that the scripture reveals to us. For June, we're committing to memory the verses from Luke chapter 6, verse 36. So are we going to say that together? Yeah? Awesome. Let's do it together. Okay. Um, Luke chapter 6, verse 36. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Wonderful. I'm glad that we didn't have the, the words at the back and you guys have memorized it. That's great. Well, thanks for reciting the scripture at Subi with us. Subi kids, now it's time to go to your classes. Parents, you're welcome to drop off your children and meet their teachers as well. Welcome to Subi Church. I'm Irene Mulligan. I'm the Subi Kids Ministry Director. If it's your first time here, a special warm welcome to you. We're glad that you're joining us today. Before you leave church, please say hi to a member of the Connect team. They are wearing a red lanyard at the foyer so we could get to know you. At Subi Church, we also have the Connect cards. You can find physical copies on your seats or access the online version by hovering your phone camera to the QR code at the back of the chair in front. We encourage everyone to fill one in. This lets us know that you are well and have been joining us at church. You can also use them to let us know your prayer requests, RSVP to events, find out more about membership, baptisms, joining a small group, or other ministries. For the paper connect cards, you can drop them off in the bucket at the back of the auditorium after the service or give it to someone who is wearing a red lanyard. Offering. Offering is an important part of our worship to God. We give with joy and thanksgiving to God because of what he has done for us in Christ Jesus. Christ himself said in Acts 20, 35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's pray for our offering. Heavenly Father, you are a giver. You are the giver of all good things. And your word makes it clear that every good and perfect gift comes from you. We ask that you accept these gifts and use them to your glory. All we have is yours, Lord. And we ask that you would use us and all we have as you will. Amen. We're going to talk about upcoming events in Subi Church. We have the Connect Lunch happening tomorrow, June 18th at 12.15 p.m. at the Activity Room one upstairs. If you're new or fairly new to Subi Church, please come along to the Connect Lunch after the Sunday 1045 service. Come and meet our staff, elders, other people from church, and hear more about our ministries and how you can get involved. 
Even if you haven't RSVP'd yet, please join us. We'd love to meet you all. And the best hour of your month and your week of your day is coming on Wednesday, the 21st of June from 7 to 8 p.m. at the Church Cafe. Join us as we come together to pray as a church. We have been encouraged to see so many people come over the past couple of months. We'd love to see you there. And this month, we have a few initiatives to support Pregnancy Problem House. We'll have a food collection next week, next weekend at church, the 24th and the, 25th, uh, 24th and the 25th of June. Please bring along non-perishable food items to drop off at church. If you would like to donate them to mothers and families in need, we, um, please bring them um, in church next week. For more information, please scan the QR code on the screen or pick up a flyer in the auditorium in the cubby hole. It is now time for us to come before the Lord in prayer as we prepare our hearts to hear from God's word. Please join me as I lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, you alone are God. You are the creator of all things, and in you all things hold together. We are grateful that you're completely sovereign, all good, all loving, all merciful. Most of all, we are grateful for the most precious gift of your son, Jesus, who by his death and resurrection secures for us new life in you. Thank you that we have been adopted as co-heirs with Jesus and that as your children, we hear our prayers. So as we come to you in prayer, we ask that you might respond in accordance with your good and perfect will. We are grateful for our lives, for the ways you are working in them. Thank you that you give us all that we need for life and for godliness. We are grateful for the gift of your spirit who unites us to Jesus. We pray that your spirit might continue to do a deep work in our hearts to renew our minds and conform us to the image of Jesus. Help us submit to the Spirit's work. Give us strength and perseverance to continue to walk closely with you each day. Help us to grow daily in our love and knowledge of our Savior and brother Jesus Christ, our highest joy and deepest need. Father, there are many things in our hearts that burden us. Some of us are struggling with sin, with broken relationships, with illness, with grief and heartache. We groan in our suffering, and we acknowledge that you are not far from us. You know every single burden we bear. Thank you that Jesus is able to empathize with us in all of our weakness. Thank you for your comfort and care for us. We pray that you might give us patience in our waiting, joy in our sorrow, and hope in the midst of despair. Help us as a church to bear one another's burdens as we reflect the love of Christ to one another. As we come to listen to the preaching of your word, we pray for Pastor Chin as he speaks. Give him clarity and courage to speak your words. May he be encouraged as he does so. Father, may our hearts be soft and ready to receive. May our minds be renewed by your word. And may our lives be transformed by the power of your spirit so that we might bring you glory. We ask all this in the precious name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for praying with me. We have guests for this weekend. 
Subi Church has partnered with Compassion over a number of years in supporting children in need and their families. In Subi Kids, we have been supporting children from Compassion. Two of them have already graduated, and we've continued to support two of them. The kids would have known their names if they were here, um, Cowan and Farol. I would like to invite Stephen and Ryan from Compassion Australia on stage to speak more on their ministry and our partnership together. Good evening, everyone. Um, my name is Ryan. I'm a pastor in the Philippines, and I was the project director of a church running the Compassion Project. I want to share my testimony with you guys. Before our church partnered with Compassion, we had many problems with the community around us. There was a lot of poverty, violence, and theft. I remembered our church speakers and projector being stolen. There are parts of the community that if you go inside, you would be stabbed. When you go to the homes of the children, you realize it is really difficult for them. The children are honest. They, will, they can tell you straight how hard their life is. You can think when, we can think that we don't have enough, but you know what? When you see what is happening, you realize that you do. When our church partnered with Compassion, we were able to uh, care for the children in this community. These children that are sponsored receive health care, nutritious food, education, and most importantly, they hear the gospel every week. Each child in the Compassion program has a mentor who disciples them. Once a month, we would have a special service that we would invite the parents of the children that were sponsored. Now, some of these parents who were previously robbing the church are now serving in the church. We can go into the dangerous areas because the fathers of the sponsored children will say, Hey, don't hurt them. They are from the Bible church. This picture, this is Ray. He was heavily bullied when he was younger. He was very shy. Because of the ministry of compassion, he learned to play instruments and sing. He started to gain his confidence and learn how to take good care of himself. Our community and the people who bullied him we're amazed because of his transformation. He is now a youth advisor and the manager of a Christian bookstore. He is the music coordinator at his local church, and he teaches young people music. Another picture, this is Rachel. She was very shy when she was young because of their living condition. They lived in a makeshift house in a very crowded area in our community. Through the compassion program, she was, able, she was able to develop her self-confidence and discover her God-given talents. The staff encouraged her to follow her dreams. She is now a professional teacher, and she teaches Sunday school in her local church as well. Running the compassion program through the church really changed our community. Many of the sponsored children are now accountants nurses, teachers, engineers, and working for the church as well. The community saw the transformation of these children and the transformation of their families. 
brothers and sisters, I encourage you, when you sponsor a child with compassion, you are helping a local church reach out to a child in poverty with the good news of Jesus and the love of God that brings real long-term transformation. You do not just release a child physically, but more importantly, you release these children spiritually so they can know more about God and can journey with God. Thank you so much. God bless everyone. Ah, thank you, Ryan, for sharing. Hi, I'm Steve. I'm from Compassion. And thank you, Subi Church, for joining with Compassion to release 272 children from poverty in Jesus' name. Amazing. And this number blew me away in just the last year. 1,009 letters have been sent between you and these precious children. Keep discipling them. Keep sharing the gospel with them. You are partnering with Compassion in Chiang Mai in Thailand. And in this area, only 1% of the population is Christian that needs the gospel. And over 600,000 people in Thailand are human trafficking victims and many of them are children and it's the children in poverty who are most vulnerable this is not right we also have children here from northern philippines so all the churches in the western suburbs of perth are focusing on the on the philippines and if you have a heart for africa we also have children from kenya as well we always love to bring some children from kenya for those who have a heart for that area let me share a story this is picture my family sponsored her she is near the area where you support in Thailand. Her dad died four years before she came into the program because they couldn't afford to go to the doctor. Her mom then became a laborer. She had three labor jobs and she'd go into the forest looking for food for her six children. The family did not know Jesus. When Pichita had been in our program for three months, she was already singing worship songs around her home. And my wife, she gets the letter from the local church and she opens it up at a dinner table and my wife starts crying and she reads it to the family. It says this, praise God, all of Pichita's family have come to know Jesus. This is the story of compassion over and over again. So I ask you boldly and I ask you from my heart to join with compassion in releasing children from poverty in Jesus' mighty name. It's about $48 a month, and it completely changes a child's world. You can do it at the stand after the service. You can sponsor a child or some children with compassion, and you can also sponsor a project like you did with the Sponsor of Village project back in the day. When you sponsor, we love to get a photo of you with the child so when they find out they're sponsored, they see who it is that's writing to them. So here's a video so you can see what it's like of a child receiving their first letter and a photo when they find out they're sponsored. Thank you so much. Tuhan akan memberikan yang terbaik buat keluarga ini. Ada sukacita Asti keluarganya Asti mendapat sponsor dan ini surat dari sponsor yang buat Asti. Thank you.
Boleh asli. Terima kasih banyak. Bawa anak saya baik. Saya kasih masuk PTA. Saya hari ini saya bangga sekali. Tapi Tuhan yang balas. Saya tidak mampu balas. Tapi Tuhan yang balas. Tidak pernah saya mimpi bahwa sponsornya api hari ini ada. Tapi saya bangga sekali sehingga saya jatuh air mata. Terima kasih banyak. Berlimpah Mungkin pikirnya ya sekedar komunikasi saja. Tetapi lebih daripada itu kedekatannya lebih dekat sekali. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you, descendants of Abraham, my friend, I took you from the ends of the earth, from its father's, father's corners, I called you. I said, you are my servant, I have chosen you, and have not rejected you. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. All who rage against you will surely be ashamed and disgraced. Those who oppose you will be as nothing and perish. Though you search for your enemies, you will not find them. Those who, rage, those who wage war against you will be as nothing at all. For I am the Lord, your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. Do not be afraid, you warm Jacob. Little Israel, do not fear. For I myself will help you, declares the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. See, I will make you into a threshing sledge, new and sharp, with many teeth. You will thresh the mountains and crush them, and reduce, reduce the hills to sharp. You will winnow them, the wind will pick them up, and a gale will blow them away. But you will rejoice in the Lord and glory in the Holy One of Israel. Good evening, everybody. Good to be with you. As always, always good to be with God's family. In case you don't know me, my name is Chin. I am one of the pastors of Subi Church. And it's great to hear Stephen and great to hear from Ryan, your testimony as well. And one of the things that as a church that I am really thankful and most encouraged about uh, when I, with compassion is, you know, the partnership that we have with the local churches to support these children and really through these children really change the whole community uh, and that, you know, they are supported and given education. And so one of the things I would love to encourage you to do, if you can, after the service, go and go to the table, ask questions, find out more about what Compassion does. If you haven't already sponsored a child, well, let me encourage you to think about it, to pray about it. And again, look at you know, the, the pictures of the children in, on the table uh, and figure out if that's something that God is calling you to do to support these children. Because one of the things that we want to do is to be a church that's generous, to be a church that wants to make gospel impact on the lives of people, uh, particularly in this case through the ministry of compassion. So before we go into the sermon, let me say a quick prayer and thank God and pray for the ministry of compassion and for all of us as we hear from God. Please join me in prayer. Father God, we thank you for the ministry of compassion. We thank you for the difference that it has made in so many children throughout the world. 
Lord, we thank you that they are gospel-centered, partnering with local churches and believers. And we do pray and ask that more and more people would be able to support this ministry, keeping faithful to the gospel commission, to the great commission, to preach the gospel, to make disciples of all nations, and through that be able to make a difference in our lives and communities around the world. And we do ask for ourselves as we think about these things, we do pray and ask that you help us to consider, to think about, to pray whether we can support either more children or support for the very first time. Lord, we want to do it with intentionality. We want to do it knowing that this is what you desire of us. So, Father, we do ask that you help us do that. And now as we come to your word, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me start with this question. What is love? It's a question that many have asked over the centuries and, you know, one of the things that Christians can ask as well, what do we understand about what love is? And because of the way that our culture has been talking about love in all aspects of our lives, you know, our understanding of love sometimes, that's affected. And for many of us, when we think about love, we instinctively, instinctively, we think about love as sentimental emotion or something that happens in our hearts that involves our feelings. Or sometimes, you know, we think love is something like affirming and supporting everything about the other person. And one of the things that you know, I do in pre-marriage counseling is to ask the couple, right? One of the first things I do, you, know, you say that you love one another. Tell me what you mean by that. What do you mean when you say you love her? What do you mean when you say you love him? And sometimes in cases like this, the focus of the love when they answer is how the other person makes you feel when they're together. Love then sometimes is... In this case, it's about how the other person makes you feel in their presence. What is love? And how scripture talks about love. In particular, God's love. That's what we will look at today in our passage. We will see what God has to say about that. So, as you know, we have been going through the book of Romans, and we've been looking at Romans chapter 8 for the past two weeks. And today we are looking at the last bit of Romans 8, the climax of what Paul has been talking about over the past few chapters, the peak of the mountain that Paul has been getting us to climb over the past few chapters. And from this mountaintop then, what we can do is to survey and look at what Paul has been doing as he builds up to this. And from this mountaintop, we will see the glorious aspect, the glorious love of God in Christ for us. And so we're going to look at Romans chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 31. If you have your, your physical Bibles, you'll be good because you can look at the wider context of it. Uh, if you haven't brought that, that's okay. It will be on the screen behind me. So I'm going to read that passage. And if you are able, let me invite you to stand as I read from Romans chapter 8, verse 31 onward. <clears throat> Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say in a response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up 
for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You may be seated. As you can see, it's not a very long passage, but as I read through it, hopefully what one of the things that you can sense is that you sense Paul's excitement and Paul's affection as he talks about these things. Right? Look at verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? These things that he has been talking about over the past few chapters. And I do believe he's talking all the way back since Romans chapter 3, verse 21 onwards. Right? From 321 onwards, what Paul has been doing is that he's been declaring that we are justified by faith alone. Right? Despite all our sinfulness, despite the wrath that we deserve from God, God justifies us through faith alone in Christ alone. And this justification by faith alone is not something new, something that is already there in the Old Testament. And this also means that while we were born into the realm of Adam, because of the work of Christ, we are now in the realm of Christ under the headship of Christ. So we were under sin and death, in slavery to our flesh, but through Christ, we are rescued from that realm, from that dominion. And now, we're in a kingdom where grace rules, in a kingdom where Christ is there. Christ is the king of this kingdom. And in this realm, as we saw from a few weeks back, we are led by the Spirit of God, we are the children of God. And as we saw from last week, that even though we go through suffering in our weaknesses, the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf, groans together with us through our sufferings. God has done all these great things for us. All these great things. What then shall we say in response to all these things? Verse 32, if God is for us, who can be against us? And that's the main theme of our passage. God is for us. Right? The God of the universe, eternally power in control, all things, this God is for us. And if this God is for us, who can be against us? What is there in all creation that can stand against us if this God is for us? Nothing. And that's why he brings out, over the next few verses, two main points about what this means. If God is for us, what does it mean for us? Number one, point number one, verse 32 to 34, no one can condemn us. No one can condemn us. Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, 
but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Now, if God did not spare Jesus Christ, the Son of God, his own Son, do you think he will withhold any blessing from us? No, of course, he's already given us the greatest treasure in all of the universe in the person of Christ. Of course, he will graciously give us all things. And this, will be, this is talking about what we will be receiving from God when a new creation comes. We'll be receiving, inheriting the new heavens, the new earth, new body, together with Christ forever. All the blessings that come from salvation will be with us, will be given to us. God doesn't hold anything back from us. He's already given us His Son. Why would He hold anything back? And that means no one can come to us and accuse us of being unworthy of receiving God's blessing. And that's Paul's point here. No one can condemn us. Look at verse 33 onwards. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and is also interceding for us. God the judge has already justified us. He's already declared us to be righteous. If God the judge has already done that, who can come to us and condemn us? Well, no one. Christ Jesus, he died and rose again. Not only that, now he's at the right hand of God, advocating, interceding for us. And as you can see, it goes all the way back to Romans 3.21. Through the atonement of Christ, received by faith alone, we are justified. And now we have Christ before God as our advocate. I mean, we, we can't get a better lawyer than Jesus, is it? He is now before God representing us. The verdict has already been given because of what Christ has done. No one can condemn us. No one can condemn us. Now, why is Paul saying this? Why is he bringing this up? Well, because sometimes we get accusations of our unworthiness of our salvation from different places. This condemnation, sometimes it can come from within us, inside of ourselves, or it can come from outside of us, from other people. Let me give you a few obvious examples first, then sometimes a little bit more less obvious. And it's not surprising that we are condemned from many parts of our world today for our views, for our beliefs, particularly in our views of sexuality. People don't like what we believe. People don't like what we hold to. And Christians have been labeled and called many different names. We've been called bigots, we've been called intolerant, we've been called unloving, judgmental, etc., etc., etc. And to be fair, some Christians, sometimes those labels are justified. But for many Christians, for many Christians, where their desire really is only to be faithful to the Scriptures, faithful to what God has revealed, these labels, this name-calling, can be a source of anguish and pain. Who likes to be called those things? Nobody likes to be condemned by other people. But before God, do they have any case against us? No, they don't. No one can condemn us because God has justified us. 
in Christ. We stand before God righteous because of what Christ has done. Who will bring any charge against us? God himself has justified us. But what happens when Satan himself comes and accuses us? Sometimes he does that through people. Sometimes he does that through our own self-talk about how we think, about how we talk about ourselves. <clears throat> he comes to us, he brings accusations against us. He will say, you're such an unworthy person, such an unlovely person. God cannot possibly be pleased with someone like you. And maybe that's exactly how you think about yourself. Maybe there's some of you here who are condemning yourselves because of what you have done, because what has happened to you, and as a result, you feel unworthy of God's love. You feel deep down inside of you, of your own sinfulness, of your own shame, and you think to yourself, how can anyone love someone like me? How can God love me? And then Satan uses that and to fuel your thoughts to cause you to doubt God's goodness. And one famous example in history <clears throat> in which this has happened to is Martin Luther. And in his writings, he often talks about his experience of Satan coming to him and accusing him and condemning him. <clears throat> and to Luther, Satan was a constant tormentor in his life. He said this in one of his writings. <clears throat> the devil plagues me at times too, creating such a tempest and fire over for a forgivable sin that I find I do not know what to do. Those are his tactics with sin. He is a virtuoso and a champion when it comes to sin and death reproaching a person in a very masterful manner. And that might be exactly what's happening to you, some of you here. You cannot move past your sin. You cannot move past the shame of something that happened to you. Right? Maybe you can't move past your family issues, your, your divorce, something that happened to you and you feel shame constantly from that. Or you feel shame and guilt about a sin that you committed many years ago. Or maybe you feel that you could have and should have been better parents to your children or a better child to your parents or a better husband to your wife or a better wife to your husband or a better friend. But what Satan does is he takes anything and everything and uses that to condemn us. And sometimes Satan doesn't even have to do anything because we would do that ourselves. We feel unworthy of God's love, shameful, riddled with guilt, and even though we repented, we try our hardest, we still feel like we haven't done enough. And we condemn ourselves. We say to ourselves, Sir, I'm not good enough. I should be better. I can be better. I wish I was better. I wish I did things differently. And every time we do that, our sense of guilt increases and we condemn ourselves. But what do we do at that point? Listen to what Luther says. This is what he tells us to do. So when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this. I admit I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God, and where he is, there I will be also. And so what do we do? We say to Satan, or we say to ourselves, no one can condemn me because God has justified me in Christ. Christ is my advocate before God. 
He has died, He has rose again for my justification. No one can condemn me because God has justified me. Who can be against us? Who, can, who will bring any charge against God's elect? God is the one who justified us. No one can condemn us. Christ intercedes for us. No one can condemn us, not even ourselves. God is for us. And so on days that are particularly hard, on days where you struggle with these things in your mind, where you struggle from all kinds of accusations thrown at you from the outside world because of your Christian faith, be reminded of the truth of this passage. God is for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? No one can condemn us. There's a second point that Paul brings up. If God is for us, nothing can separate us from God. Nothing can separate us from God. That's from verse 35 to the end. See, after Paul talks about how no one can bring any charges against us or any accusations against God's people, he goes on to talk about our situations, the circumstances of our lives. No situation, no circumstance in our lives will ever be able to separate us from the love of Christ. Look at verse 35 and 36. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Nothing that happens here on earth can separate us from God. And during the times when we are going through suffering, when we are going through hardship, it can be very easy, very easy for us to be tempted to think that God doesn't care about us or God has abandoned us. But that cannot be further from the truth. No, no, those things do not separate us from the love of God. God's people throughout history has always endured suffering and hardship. This is not new. This is, this is a part and parcel of the Christian life. It's the part and parcel of life in general. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. We will go through suffering in this life. And suffering can be such a lonely experience. And through that experience, it can add to the anguish, add to the hardship. But the difference is knowing who is there with you through our suffering and hardships. See, Paul himself, he went through hardship and suffering. He describes this in 2 Corinthians. Let me just read a portion of it. 2 Corinthians verse, chapter 11, verse 24 onwards. This is what he says. This is what Paul went through. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was bitten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I've labored and taught and I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. I've gone, often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. He knows what it means to suffer. And he goes on to quote Psalm 44 and in that Psalm, this is the psalm where we read about God's people suffering because of their faith, going through persecution, facing death all day long. This is not new. 
and Paul has first-hand experience. This is not just a merely rhetorical question for him. He has experienced all these things. And coming through all these experiences, he can say, nothing can separate us from God. In fact, he goes further than that. In verse 37, he says, No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, have you ever thought about what that means? More than conquerors. It's a bit of a strange saying, isn't it? Now, how can someone be more than a conqueror? I mean, if, if you are a conqueror, you've already defeated, vanquished your enemies. I mean, what, what more can you do? You already defeated your enemies. How can you defeat and conquer someone even more? But if you look at the context, as he talks about hardships and trials and troubles that Christians go through, from a humanly perspective, these things, or even from the perspective of Satan himself, these things should be the very things that pushes us away from God. Right? Christians are persecuted for their faith, so the logical thinking is that as Christians, as we're persecuted, we will stop following God, following Christ when that happens. And when we're going through hardship or trouble, the humanly way of thinking is to question, why does God allow all these things to happen to us to cause us to doubt God? And if you remember from last week's sermon, if you remember that clip about Stephen Fry, that's the line of thinking that he uses to disprove or go against God. But instead of pushing us away from God, how have Christians across the centuries faced all these struggles and hardships? You see, these very things that are supposed to be pushing us away from God are the very things that pushes us towards God, closer to God. And what Christ does in the lives of a Christian is completely subvert the purposes of these thinkings, the logical thinking of these suffering. Right? The suffering and the persecution that people think will push us away from God, instead, this exact thing pushes us closer to God. It is in that way that we are more than conquerors. We don't only conquer the circumstance that we go through, but that same very circumstance pushes us to God. We are more than conquerors, and nothing can separate us from the love of God. And time and time and time again, we hear of testimonies of Christians doing exactly just that. And I'm sure you can think of many, many stories. And you know, one recent example, of course, as many of you would know, is Tim Keller, diagnosed with pancreatic cancer more than three years ago. During an interview that he did, he talks about his, his experience with, with terminal cancer and how that actually focused his spiritual life. He said, the thing, I think the way that I handle imminent death is by fighting my sin and getting deeper communion with God. In another interview, he said that his cancer has made his prayer a much deeper experience with God. And he spends more time praying to God than he ever did. A few days before Tim Keller died, his son tweeted about what he said. He said, I'm thankful for all the people who have prayed for me over the years. I'm thankful for my family that loves me. I'm thankful for the time that God has given me but I am ready to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. 
send me home. And his last words, according to his son, there is no downside to me leaving, not in the slightest. What else in all of creation can give someone that kind of assurance? What else? Cancer has ravaged so many people in our world, caused so much pain and anguish in families and loved ones. But in and through Christ, we are more than conquerors. More than conquerors. The very thing that's supposed to push us away from God causes us to go towards God. Nothing in creation can separate us from the love of God. And he ends this, Paul ends this section with what is in my mind one of the greatest passages in all of Scripture. In Romans 38, 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death, death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You cannot get any more comprehensive than that. And Paul is basically saying, literally nothing, nothing in all of creation that can separate us from God's love. Nothing. And sometimes that passage has been used to defend what has been called the doctrine of once saved, always saved. And when people use that phrase or use that doctrine, sometimes as Christians, we have this particular image or scenario in mind. So they will think, you know, the doctrine works something like this, you know, where you have someone, let's give him the name Billy. And if your name Billy, just coincidence. But Billy, let's say you have Billy, who said the sinner's prayer when he's 10 years old, and he said it with sincerity. But then over the next few years, he will attend church semi-regularly. But unfortunately, when he graduated from university, he completely stopped attending church and stopped believing in Christ. But as the doctrine goes, well, once saved, always saved, isn't it? Billy said the sinner prayer when he's 10 years old, so he's definitely saved. He's once saved, always saved. Doesn't really matter if his life hasn't changed. Doesn't really matter he eventually stopped believing in God because once saved, always saved, isn't it? Well, that's one of the reasons why I don't really use that term very much. In fact, what I do prefer to use and what many scholars prefer to use and talk about is the term, the perseverance of the saints or the perseverance of God in the saints. <clears throat> now, the way to think about this <clears throat> is to take Romans 8 as a whole. Because when we believe in Christ, as we saw in the beginning of Romans 8, when we believe in Christ, we belong to Christ. God gives us His Spirit in us. We are led by the Spirit. We are children of God. And the Holy Spirit works in and through us to transform us to be more like Jesus. That's what we read at the beginning of Romans 8. We live according to the Spirit. And this is where our lives are changed as we follow Jesus. Because God works in us, through us, by His Spirit. We do not stay the same person. And from last week, as we saw, this same Spirit works in us to help us in our weaknesses and our sufferings. And it is through that work of God, by His Spirit in us, that He perseveres us in our faith. That's where the phrase, the perseverance of God in the saints, come from. 
The idea is that once you are saved, once you believe in Jesus Christ, God sends His Spirit to indwell in us, and through the work of the Spirit in our lives, helps us to persevere in our faith until the end. Our lives are changed, our lives are transformed, and we live lives that bears witness to this change, and that means the way we live our lives matter. And it is through God's work in us that we persevere in our faith until the end. So unlike the phrase, once saved, always saved, where sometimes it implies that the way we live our lives does not matter. No, no, no. The more accurate phrase is the perseverance of God in the saints, where we see God's hands in our lives, transforming us, changing us, holding us tightly to himself. And as a result, we persevere on until the end. God's love towards us is not one where He affirms everything about us. God's love is infinitely more powerful than that. God's love changes and transforms us. And in the end, we are secure in our salvation, not because we hold tightly to Jesus, but because Jesus holds tightly to us. And that's why Paul, when he comes to Romans 8, he can say with such an emphatic tone, that nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if God is for us, who can be against us? No one can condemn us. No one separates us from God. And one of the greatest examples is the Apostle Paul himself. If you think about it, if you know anything about Paul's life, it seems like there's literally nothing that really phases Paul. Nothing phases him after he becomes a follower of God. He sets his life goal to go and preach the gospel wherever he can. Plenty of people have tried to stop him. They have failed. So, you know, preach the gospel. No, no, you're not allowed to. We throw you in prison. What does Paul do? He goes and converts all the guards of the prison. And then he says, you know what? That's it. I'm going to murder you. going to end your life. And Paul comes and says, well, to me, to for." To me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He's not afraid of dying. He's going to be with Jesus. And you know what? That's okay. I'm going to put you in house arrest. What happens? He goes and writes letters to different churches about the gospel. In every and all situation Paul finds himself in, he turns it around, makes a situation to serve God's purpose. Nothing phases Paul. In other words, he is more than a conqueror. What are you going through in your life that you can, in some sense, turn it around to make it serve God's purpose, to draw you closer to God? How can you be more than a conqueror in the situation that you find your life in? And lastly, most importantly, what we have to remember that it is not our own strength not our own willpower. Look at verse 37 again. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Only through Christ, we can be more than conquerors. Because God Himself, as we saw from last week, David preached on this, I'm going to repeat what he said. God Himself took the greatest evil in all of human history, He conquered it through the death and resurrection of his son. Not only did God conquer it, he used the very thing that was the most evil thing in 
at his core, the murder of the Son of God, he made it the greatest saving act in all of history. Jesus was more than a conqueror through his death, through his resurrection, turning that violent evil act to be the one where there's the greatest story of redemption. And it is only through Christ that we can do the same. And as we focus on Christ, we can say, if this God is for us, if this God is for us, who can be against us? No one can condemn us. No one can separate us from God. And that's why Paul can end it with such an emphatic declaration that there's nothing, literally nothing in all of creation that can separate us from the love of God that is Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me pray. Father God, we read this passage and our hearts are overjoyed. Our hearts are encouraged and blessed to hear that we are more than conquerors through Christ, to hear that there's literally nothing in all of creation that can separate us from you, not because of how great we are, but because of how great you are, that you hold us tightly to yourself. And so as your people, this evening, as we read through this passage, raise our affection for Christ once more to see how wonderful and glorious and amazing He is, how amazing you are, how amazing the Spirit is in working in and through us. And through all, this, all these things, through the gospel, we can be more than conquerors, no matter what we're going through. And so, Father, we do ask and pray for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. It's not much I need to say, because in some sense, Romans chapter 8, verse 31 to 39 has done the job for us. Let me read verse 38 and 39 once more. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. When we come to celebrate the Lord's Supper, that's what we're celebrating together with all of God's people, the all-powerful love of God in us, in Christ. And so as we partake of the, and drink of the elements, we're drinking and partaking of the grace of God in Christ. We're declaring to each other and to the world in some sense, no one can condemn us. No one can separate us from God's love in Christ. And so if you're here this evening, you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Be reminded, be blessed by the love of God once more. If you're here this evening, you're not a Christian, we ask that you remain seated. Please don't feel pressured to come to the front. But we do ask and pray that you will consider Jesus and what He has done for us. Let me invite the first few rows to stand and make your way to the front to receive the elements. Please hold the bread and hold the cup. We will drink and partake together at the end. Let us remember the body of Jesus given to us. Let's take together. And this is the blood of Christ which covers us. Let's drink together. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his death and resurrection. Through which now we can be your children. 
and through his love we are more than conquerors. All glory be to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Would you stand and sing on a song? Here in the power of Christ 
Amen. And one of the things that I do hope and pray that you remember from this evening is if God is for us, who can be against us? No one can condemn us. No one can separate us from God because we have a wonderful God who has loved us in Jesus Christ by the power of His Spirit. And I pray that you remember that this evening and you are blessed. We do have the compassion table in the atrium. Let me encourage you to go and visit that table and ask questions. Look at the children who are on the table if, and prayerfully consider if you can support more children. And if you need prayer after the service, feel free to come to the front. Someone will be more than happy to pray with and for you. Let me end with this benediction. May God the Father who has justified us through the death and resurrection of His Son continue to be with us forever by the presence of His Spirit when no one is able to condemn us or separate us from Him. To Him be the glory. Amen.